Today's podcast brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. Hello, I'm Kerry Lunigan. Welcome to the Weekly Grill. Today, a check on one of the most important experiments on livestock in recent years, a prolonged look at the technologies used to measure carcass yield and crucially not just yield but quality as well. Taking the lead for today's podcast is Beef Central Editor John Condon, providing the quality meat, if I can use the pun, for today's discussion from Murdoch University in Western Australia, Professor Graham Gardner, and from the University of New England at Armidale in northern New South Wales, Professor Peter McGilchrist. Professors, welcome. You're now on the very capable hands of John Condon. Take it away, John. Yes, thanks, Kerry. So good morning, uh, Graeme and, and Peter, and welcome to the podcast. So Sunday's a pretty significant uh, milestone in the sense that it's the end of the three-year ArmTech project, which is the industry's uh, major effort in addressing objective carcass measurement in different ways. So uh, let's start firstly perhaps with you, Graeme, and talk in very general terms. So why is objective carcass assessment of, of beef carcasses important? Well, John, that, that's a, a real easy one. In effect, the value of a carcass is more than that just reflected by its weight. So if you can weigh a carcass, you don't have what it's worth. The, uh, the amount of meat that you can cut from it can vary, and that's got nothing to do with its weight. It's got the amount of or, or everything to do with how fat that carcass is. And also how well that meat eats varies massively as well. So two carcasses of the same weight are not worth the same amount of money. And if you can't measure that variation, then you can't put a dollar value on it. That's probably the, the, the simplest way of actually saying it. Now, I think also adding to that is that repeatability of measurement, John, so that measuring the same thing day in, day out, across years, across seasons, between producers and across processes, so getting a more repeatable number across the industry as well is, is uh, very valuable so we can make change at the at the producer level and then also capture that value at the processor level. So before we get into what some of the outcomes of the research have been, um, what does ARMTEC stand for? What was it designed to achieve when the project was put together three years ago? And a little bit of background, who paid for it, for example? John, I could probably have a crack at that. I I might even go back to seven years ago because, in fact, the, the um, the current iteration of ARMTEC has sort of blended in to our um, our first um, our first attempt or our first project, and uh, and the government basically came in after our first run of four years and said, look, you guys are, are doing a cracking job. We want you to keep going, and um, and so they actually stepped up with their rural research for profit money and said that um, they wanted us to extend for a full seven years. The, the, in, the inception of it it goes all the way back to the sheep here, to be honest. So we had uh, we had what was called the Lamb Supply Chain Group in Chief DRC. It was you know reaching its its sort of final days, and we were sort of looking around at that time, sort of saying, well, you know, what's next? How do we really pick up the pace? And one thing that we really had realised was that we knew how important lean meat yield was, and also how important eating quality was. But in lamb, we could measure neither of them with any degree of accuracy. And in beef, they were being measured, in a way they were being measured, but, um, but to nowhere near the level of accuracy that we wanted. Even, uh, even the technologies themselves that had been sort of dreamed about, they were nowhere near delivery, um, and none of them could have kept up with chain speed. So 
So going all the way back then, it was, uh, you know, it was recognising that fact coming out of all of that early work from the CCRC and also the BCRC on, on eating quality and lean meat yield. Um, it sort of, it was the clear gap. So in some ways, that was, that was the real impetus. For, um, for putting that project in place. Where, where's the funding come from? You mentioned the federal government. Is there grass producer levies involved in this? Is there processor levies? What's been the uh, aggregated uh, source of funding for the project? So all up, we've, we've had about $20 million in cash across that entire seven-year period. Um, and then you, you throw in in kind and it, it makes us about a $30, $35 million project across that whole time. The cash itself, half of it, has come from the government. You know, back in the day, Barnaby had his Rural Research for Profit grant, and and we uh, we applied for that and um, and were successful. Now that needed leveraged money, so you had to match it with money from your from your industries. So MLA stepped up, AMPC stepped up, and also Australian Pork Limited. So they were the you know they were the real um, the real engine room of, of providing funding. And then on top of that, and I think this is quite crucial, we managed to get a number of commercial partners to not just put in in-kind, and in-kind does matter, but also some of them actually put in cash. And when you, when you can bring cash to the table and apply for a government grant from the commercial entities themselves, it's just massively powerful. So, uh, so the cash contributors were... Um, and across the full seven years, I think I might might recognise the full seven years of cash contribution, were um, were JBS, Seas, Australian Country Choice, Stockyard, uh, Wamco, Woolies, Frontmatic, Fletchers, and the University of Adelaide actually even used um, some of their bequest funds to um, to help us out too. You know that's a good reflection of where the cash came from, and the the in kind contributions go far more broadly than that, of course, across. Um, you know, many research and commercial sectors of industry. So that suggests to me, uh, Graham, that with such a broad base of uh, of interest in this, uh, in terms of supporting this project, that there was a um, a real appetite there in the industry at that time to get behind this and make it work. There really was, um, and you might you might recall that Senate inquiry into the transparency of trading. You know, we're going back sort yeah. of six years or so now. So there was that in the background, and there was the success of um, the research coming out of the CCRC, um, and then there was that clear gap around the fact that we couldn't measure things, and a number of promising technologies that were appearing at the time. So that that sort of all came together, and then sort of you know conglomerated around what I would call a, a pretty elite team of scientists who uh, you know who came together at that time and sort of formed what we now call Armtech. And it's, a, it's, it's not just Pete and I, it's a, it's a pretty big team. Now that's uh, keeping that team together and, and focused around this area across a whole seven years, there's a, there's a good part of the reason why we've been successful. So I think before we go too far, let's dig back into history a little because Australia yep. and the Australian uh, beef and, and sheep meat industries have, have had an interest in this space of objective carcass measurement for a very long time. And I'm referring to the Viascan project that I think initially was funded by the, the old Meat Research Corporation even before the, uh, the introduction of MLA, going back into the 1990s. Was the industry being over-adventurous in trying to tackle a, a complex uh, technology-driven project like that back then? I mean, why did, why did Viascan not deliver back all those years ago? 
This is great, John. Pete and I were both in nappies back then, you have to understand. We, uh, <laughs> we, we hadn't even kicked off. So the, the Viascan system, it worked. Simple as that. So just to clarify for our listeners, it was a a camera-based objective assessment of an eye muscle, a cut eye muscle, to produce meat colour, fat colour, eye muscle area fundamentally, wasn't it? Yep, that's a true statement. And on top of that, it was a whole carcass system that could determine the proportions of uh, of lean meat in a carcass. So it worked in beef um, and it also worked in lamb and had been deployed commercially. You know, in some ways, the, the key thing that that actually held it back was that any of those systems that I've just described, they weren't accredited. For example, the, the system in LAMB could not predict um, GR tissue depth to accreditation standards. So it was not accredited to do that. The the ribeye camera, Pete, you, you may have, a, have some knowledge of this, but to the best of my knowledge, it was not accredited to predict any of the ribeye traits to to the accreditation standards. And, you know, part of the problem here was that the effectively the language that they were trying to predict was not set up for those technologies. So it was very hard to actually accredit a technology when it was so ambiguous. And this has got nothing to do with inventing technology. It's one of the one of the other key things that Armtech has done is it's rewritten parts of the trading language to actually enable these technologies to become accredited. So, you know, without that being done in conjunction with with the development of the technology itself, you're kind you're kind of trying to insert a, a square peg into a, into a round hole. Like the, the the industry basically couldn't use the number that it was that it was spitting out. If we think back to the to the nineties as well, you know, the internet was only just arriving in the mid nineties. Essentially we got all our got our own first emails in the mid nineties and so data transfer was really hindering hindering as well. So if we think about the journey of a technology, Viascan really got through that development and validation phase uh, pretty well. So we worked out that it could measure what it could measure. But then when it moved into commercialization and implementation, that's that's actually where it fell over because that data couldn't get out to the people that needed it. The, the numbers weren't used effectively to make change across those supply chains. Uh, so, so the extra cost uh, didn't really help make any value for that supply chain so it fell over really at that implementation phase. So let's talk uh, briefly let's divide the project up into two for a little while. Let's talk to Peter first about the meat quality assessment side of uh, of Armtech. There's been a lot of progress uh, Peter hasn't there in terms of the um, a suite of tools that are now available and are becoming available for meat quality traits assessment in, in both beef and lamb carcasses? Yeah, absolutely. So one of our biggest challenges in in Program 2, which was focused on those technologies to measure meat quality traits, uh, was on the lamb space. So getting a technology which would allow us to grade lambs on an individual basis. So everyone has, uh, we had a common goal around, uh, you know, trading sheep meat on, on quality of individual carcasses rather than all lambs being boxed together and being sold as lamb, just like we've seen in beef, that real tiering tiering of brands in beef so that you know your, your supreme brands and, and premium brands and then and then good everyday brands we, we haven't been able to do that in lamb because we couldn't grade those individuals 
so the the one technology we needed or one trait we needed to measure in lambs was was marbling or intramuscular fat and so you know in arm tech one we we got close and and we had some technologies of course driving at that but we didn't get rubber didn't hit the road until the, the arm tech two which is when you know, some technologies have now been accredited for measuring marbling in individual lambs at chain speed so the one with most success there is the, the meq probe but that took you know a lot of investment and outside of arm tech as well to um to get that across the line so and now it's implemented across a good number of processes in the country essentially it needed to run the challenge with lamb is we don't cut lambs uh, and they also get processed at anywhere from you know, five through to 14 lambs per minute. So it's really, really quick and humans fatigue when they're grading at that speed. So we knew we needed a technology. We needed it to be accurate and quick uh, to measure marbling. And, and so, yeah, that's probably one of our greatest achievements over, over arm tech. There's a few other technologies that are still in that kind of development and validation phase uh, that are coming coming along well. Uh, so they've been in the pipeline over the last few years, but we'll have uh, some other technologies in that space as well. When we started out in the beef space, of course, we, we were already grading carcasses using using MSA at the uh, quartering site, largely between the 12th and 13th ribs. So we focused in on how do we make those measures at the quartering site more accurately um, day in, day out, between one processor to the next, between one year to the next. Uh, and so we really honed in on those, a lot of technologies to help assist uh, or tools to assist the MSA graders to, to increase their repeatability of those measures of the, of the loin traits. So their meat colour, fat colour, eye muscle area, uh, MSA marbling, Ozmeat marbling, and rib fat depth. So they're the traits we honed in on. But it's been interesting as we've gone along and we've advanced the sheep side, yeah, of course, now there's also a focus on, on grading beef hot because we can get a lot of the traits that have an effect like hump height and ossification on, on hot carcasses. The one trait we can't see on hot carcasses is, is uh, marbling. So if we can measure marbling on hot carcasses, we can essentially segregate carcasses into into chillers um, into their brands already and then and then there's a there's minimal re-ranking the next day when we when we measure rib fat and and uh, pH so we were focused in beef on the loin eye and then and then now in the early development phase of some technologies to, to help with hot grading of beef carcasses time for a break from beef central we're hearing from Professor Peter McGilchrist from the University of New England at Armidale in New South Wales and Professor Graham Gardner. He's from Murdoch University in Western Australia. Back in a moment. Breathe easy with Rhinogard, the only single-dose intranasal vaccine for control of IBR in your cattle. Get in control of bovine respiratory disease, that's BRD, before it begins. Just deliver a single intranasal spray of Rhinogard for rapid IBR control and add a single dose of Bovishield MH1 for protection against pneumonia. For rapid protection against MH and IBR in your weaners and pre-feedlot cattle, breathe easy with Bovishield and Rhinogard. Available from your local vet today. 
For over 180 years, Elders has proudly been supporting Australian livestock producers. Elders supports your business across the production cycle with more than 350 livestock agents, access to specialist livestock advice and auction services. Draw on our established relationships to buy and sell commercial and stud livestock across domestic and international markets. Enjoy Del Credere guaranteed payments when you sell with Elders. Livestock funding also available subject to approval. Elders for Australian agriculture. Welcome back. John Condon is talking with Professor Peter McGilchrist from the New England University at Armidale in northern New South Wales and Professor Graham Gardner. He's from Murdoch Uni in Western Australia. So it's fair to say that the, the meat quality tools uh, range from uh, camera-based technologies through to other technologies. Um, do you want to just describe that a little bit to us? Yeah, correct. So we've got a suite of different technologies. So you know, we talked about Viascan, and and the Viascan CAS system is is uh, now owned by Morel, but it's been in um, in this uh, in this project across the time as well. Um, and then the other cameras that we've been working on is the QFOM camera from Frontmatic out of Denmark. Um, yeah, the Viascan CAS system from Cedar Creek in in Queensland. Yep. Uh, Masterpiece camera, which is developed by Darren Hamblin in in Queensland, has had a lot of um, time and effort in this project as well. The MIJ camera from, from Japan that's uh, here with Australian Wagyu Association has been uh, heavily involved in the project as well. And then more recently, after the developments in sheep meat, the MEQ probe, so that's for measuring marbling in hot carcasses. And then they also developed a, um, a, a camera technology as well for that loin eye camera. So, yeah, we've had a lot. And there's been a couple others that we've, killed off across the journey as well. Is it fair to say that the, um, the the scope of the quality assessment tools is now complete or will there continue to be technologies, do you think, coming forward that can contribute to this even further? Yeah, look, John, I think there'll be always development and, and, and tweaking. You know, you never you know, we can always improve the accuracy of these cameras as well. So the repeatability is very good from one camera to the next and from one day to the next on the same camera. But we can always get them more and more accurate, uh, honing in on on some of those traits. So the the cameras that are that are accredited uh, will always maybe tweak their tweak their accuracies if if they have more knowledge that can that can help them with those predictions. But we've we've also got some other technologies, mostly focused on the on the hot grading side of of marbling and and intramuscular fat or IMF. Um, that are that are still very much in the development and, and accreditation phases as well. So they will move through to commercialisation and implementation, you know, in the coming years also. So now let's move across to the other side of the ArmTech project, which is based on on carcass yield for for beef and lamb. Why don't you just give us a snapshot of where the whole yield assessment process is up to? Most of the listeners will have heard of the DEXA project, which has sort of been probably the, one of the core tools and, and, and uh, technologies in this space. Um, where are things up to in terms of, of yield assessment for, for, for both species? The DEXA project itself in lamb has been a you know a real flagship of success out of Armtech. So... Yeah, you know, those systems are installed in, in seven plants across Australia. There's also a beef DEXA system that the, um, the calibration work is ongoing there. The lamb system is going really nicely. It's accredited to predict the, the bone, muscle and fat percentage in a carcass. Now, if you went back to the 90s, that wouldn't have done us any good because you couldn't trade upon it. But that's changed. 
we've actually introduced a language for bone, muscle and fat percentage that you can actually trade upon publicly. Um, and so we've then gone and got the, the DEXA system accredited to predict that trait. And in fact, just earlier this year, it, it reached full accreditation. Basically, that means that it can predict bone, muscle and fat percentages as measured by a, a CT scanner. So it's like a, a very fancy gold standard. And it can do so with, um, with good enough accuracy in, in carcasses that are light, so less than, 18, uh, less than 22 kilos, mid-weight carcasses, so those between 22 and 28, and then really heavy carcasses, so those, those greater than 28 kilos. So in effect, it can, it can handle the full range of carcasses, keep up with chain speed, so whatever the fastest chain speeds are, it'll, uh, it'll keep up with those paces. And probably the, the next step is to work with plants to actually show them how to extract value from that knowledge. It's one thing to, to buy and sell back to farmers on the basis of what the lean meat yield in the animal was, but the plants themselves need to actually make in-plant sorting decisions based on the, the carcass fatness. So if you can predict what's in them, then you can, uh, you can be more focused in the way that you cut them up and you can effectively extract more value from every carcass. So that's, uh, that, that's kind of like the next playing field that we're really having a crack at off the back of the, the successful installs of that technology. That, that's been a real winner. Um, the, the story in beef, um, so that system at Rockhampton, we, we got as far as making it work. We have an equation that we've demonstrated predicts lean meat yield really nicely. Um, in fact, it does so about as well as what it operates in land. I guess the, the big range of taxes that we actually need that system calibrated against um, is still evolving. So I think there's probably another good six months of work um, at Seed to, to get that one nailed. And that, they've been a massive supporter of that project, Seed. So, um, so you know, they've got their shoulder to the wheel. They're ready to, uh, to facilitate ongoing calibration of that device to prove that it works. Is it the variation in, in carcass weights and fatness in beef that makes the beef side of the yield project more challenging than lamb? Not so much the variation. You know, certainly the, the, that DEXA system, it predicts composition in beef as well as it does in lamb. It's more to do with size and cost. Every time you go and scan a lamb carcass, you, you're mucking around with only one twentieth the amount of meat. So therefore, you're dealing with one twentieth of the cost. So everything has to be done in a, in a more careful fashion in beef um, because you can very quickly blow out expense generating data that, you know, may or may not be fitting the, the matrix that you need it to fit. So, yeah, that, that, that cost overlay is quite a crucial one. The other side of the DEXA uh, project, of course, is to do with providing instruction for automation and robotics. Do you want to give us a little bit of insight as to where that's up to at the moment and how it fits in with assessing a, a, a carcass for yield? Yeah, so the, the automation story is in lamb. Uh, it's a great story. And, and certainly our original logic of even developing a DEXA system was to, to value-add to an existing X-ray system that was driving that lamb cutting device. So in effect, the reason for it to be in the abattoir is not to, to predict lean meat yield, it's to drive a robot. Yep. And when you've got that logic in place, it makes, it makes the lean meat yield justification that much easier. Um, so in beef, there is no automated cutting system equivalent to lamb. That needs to be developed. And again, that's a huge job. So just to be clear, that's not part of Armtech. So we've had no 
investment in cutting automation. Um, but we absolutely have worked in synergy with those companies to, to try and value add to their technologies that are doing the work. I think the, the beef automation, that's going to be a long game, pretty so, much. So when DEXA first came along, it, I think it was some, certainly in terms of from at the layman level in the industry, it was probably perceived as the only solution to yield assessment. But over time, mm. there has been other technologies that have, that have emerged which I understand show potential or are even further advanced than that in terms of yield assessment. Yeah, that's exactly right. So, you know, from the outset, we recognise that installing a DEX system um, was expensive, has a big footprint, and, you know, in, in some plants, that's just not compatible. So there's also smaller companies that don't have the economies of scale or the throughput to justify either a DEX system or the robot that it might steer. So we needed other cheaper, and, you know, you have to sacrifice something when you go cheaper, and that is accuracy. I'll admit we've got other cheaper, less accurate devices that are available. But the crucial thing here is accreditation. So we've set um, we've set accreditation standards so that these are minimum accuracies that these technologies have to meet. Um, and so obviously DEXA sort of meets the minimum accuracy for predicting lean meat yield very easily. Um, we're working on other devices that can meet that level of accuracy as well. One, one example is a microwave system. So this device can predict the, the fat depth in both lamb and beef carcasses and indeed in live animals as well. And it's actually just earlier this year been accredited for predicting GR tissue depth in lamb. So at the moment, we're actually um, commercially installing the first microwave device into an abattoir over in Western Australia down at um, Dardner Butchering Company. So that one's a cheaper simpler solution um, and a handheld solution. Just on that theme, perhaps, Peter, could you give us some indication how accurate do these objective technologies need to be? I mean, is it simply better than you know, a human assessment is good enough or are we trying to become too precise in terms of the way these devices are function and the information they deliver? Yeah, it's a good question, John, and, and something we've you know put a lot of time into as we've gone through this our journey here from the development of the technologies, which is essentially the early stage where there's a light bulb moment and someone says, hey, we, we can use this to measure this, uh, through to you know when we say, yeah, they're accurate enough to use on, on industry. So the, for the eating quality traits, we, we set out early on and we did say that the cameras would have to be as accurate as our as our best graders in the country, so we we got the best graders and we and we put them onto the same carcasses, and then their repeatability of measuring the same trait or the trait the same was the percentages we used that that, that the cameras had to predict. Then what the humans were were telling us about these carcasses during the accreditation grading um, period. But of course, the challenge there, anyone can see, is when you're trying to train something on a human, even though we've got great graders here, that they do wobble around a little bit. So you, your gold standard that we were using for training a lot of our technologies was, was moving about. So if you, if you move your uh, bullseye on a target, then, then it makes it really hard to, to accredit against. So we, we did and we've stuck with that um, mantra that they do have to be more accurate than our best graders, uh, and we've seen some technologies get accredited across a, a suite of um, 
a suite of traits for that. I think accuracy has been helped in the in the marbling space, uh, which is probably the most important trait for meat quality, and then for also marketing of our beef internationally uh, across lots of different tiers. So not only MSA, but you know Ausmeat and uh, etc. And, and Wagyu worlds. So. Marbling is really important and, and we've been putting in place a language like Graham was talking about percentage of lean muscle and fat. For marbling, we've we've gone back to saying, okay, let's talk on percent fat or percent intramuscular fat in that loin and then we can reconvert that to a marble score. So we can train our cameras on intramuscular fat percentage rather than training it on those human grading scores. We know that's really assisted us to get the cameras and probes, etc., more and more accurate as as we've gone down that track. So yeah, that's been a bit of a learning and a journey. So accuracy is one trait. It's the repeatability of the cameras uh, where the value really is. And so with the same camera, you know, if there's multiple of those cameras, their repeatability or the same camera across days, um, we can. That's what we talk about when we talk about repeatability. So repeatability, if you've got multiple uh, processing plants then you can have the same high-quality grader across all plants on the same day, putting the same meat into the same brand. Um, that That's where the value is, is around that repeatability. So we've done lots of accreditation grades. And for most of the traits, look, the, the data we've got between comparing the three graders we had and then the three cameras of the same camera, we, we're seeing repeatability kind of 30%, 40% higher from the, from the technologies than from those three graders. So we have to then crystallize the value of having greater repeatability across days and, and across plants because that's, that's where the technologies are, are going to uh, drive outcomes for the industry. So um, one, one thing Pete pointed out was that um, an IMS trait had been created for beef um, you know, what, one thing to go back to is lamb commentary. A, an IMS trait was created for lamb. And, of course, nothing existed in lamb prior to create the creation of that trait. So that's been a, a, a key enabler, yep. not just for, for the beef technologies, but, but crucially for the lamb technologies. To even roll those out in industry, um, that, those technologies were useless without the creation of that trait to, um, to enable trading. You, you mentioned trying to establish the value out of having that greater level of accuracy. Has there been any attempt to put a dollar figure on that yet? Yeah, good question. And it's it's a very individual question, John, because depending on the size of the company, you know, does the same brand come out of multiple different plants? And then and you're trying to also measure that uh, acceptance of the customer or the happiness of the customer so they repeatedly buy you know, brand A over brand B. So it is it is a difficult thing to, to put a value on. Probably the thing that everyone's jumping at a little bit more now is around that hot grading and, and being able to segregate carcasses into the chiller. They can much more readily see the, the, the value that that would drive rather than grading and then segregating into the boning room. Um, so that's an easier value proposition. But yeah, I think repeatability of measures so you get the consistency into a brand um, is is critical, but putting a dollar value on it differs one company to another uh, wildly. But uh, yeah, we we really need to put some effort into that across the industry to to, to uh, put some dollar values on that. Just to add to that, Pete made a really good point that the value proposition varies between each company, and maybe one way of looking at 
that the value of accuracy of devices is that if they could perfectly describe the value proposition, then they would they would be able to basically quantify and enable that company to capture all of it. But if the device is only 50% accurate, say, then it'll only be able to capture half yep. of that value that's potentially available. So that's, that's one way of looking at, at how important accuracy actually is. Um, Peter, you made a presentation down at the Great Southern um, Producer Gathering with JBS the other day and and you touched on some of the project work with the quality traits and, 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 and devices and what have you. In some of those traits, there are four or five different devices that were all uh, accredited to measure the same trait. And the, the question arises, is there a risk of inconsistency or confusion between having multiple devices basically performing the same task? Yeah, great question, John. So I would I'll hit the ball back over the net to you and say to you, is each individual human grader, are they the same or are they a different technology to each other? And I would I would conclude that they're different. So at this point in time, we, if we've got 200 MSA graders around the country for beef, then we've actually got 200 different technologies already operating in our industry. Yes, we've got multiple cameras measuring the same trait, but with their higher repeatability, we're, we're essentially reducing, reducing uh, so we look at that repeatability between technologies as well, we're, we're reducing the, the number of technologies that will be out there across the industry. The accreditation standards that we've set up for these technologies, they're pretty tight. So, so let's just say five different companies are all trying to measure um, intramuscular fat percentage in lamb. So we've made the, the allowed errors, we've made that really tight so that all of the industry can be pretty confident if they're dealing with a device that's accredited, then it will be at least this accurate. So that's a crucial thing to say. And I think from, like, if we were to you know, put our industry hat on, the other advantage of having five companies all offering technologies in Australia is that they're competing and that's going to drive prices down. Yeah, yeah, good point. And they also, when we get to the implementation phase or commercialisation implementation phase, they've also got different business models. Now, we don't we don't run those companies that, that uh, have these technologies, so we've got no say over how they charge, you know, how their, their technology or their, their data transfer works you know, how they have their um, updates and, and, you know, how accessible they are when something breaks. All of those sort of things are really important when we get into that commercialisation and implementation. So if we've only, if we've got all our eggs in one basket and they're a terrible company to operate with, then we're, then we're back to having no technologies, essentially. So having more gives companies options to be able to select a company and a technology that works for them. Well, time is starting to slip away on us, but I've got a couple of, of uh, final questions. The first one is, does all this progress in uh, technologies create a, a atmosphere, a greater mood, if you like, for the industry to start to move towards a genuine value-based marketing, yield-based payment system on, on beef and lamb carcasses? I mean, where, where, where is the industry up to in this process? Well, for a start, you've got to, you've got to acknowledge that, that the beef industry has been trading with MSA for the last 20 years. Um, and so, in effect, they've had a quality grading system 
and yield has been reflected through pH thresholds, but also just the um, the classes of cattle themselves. You know, so if you're dealing with a short-fed grain and a long-fed grain, you, you are going to be dealing with a different yielding animal anyway, falling into those categories. So to some extent, that um, that trading has always been in place with both lean meat yield and eating quality embedded within it in beef. It's been delivered what in a proxy, proxy form rather than directly in terms in, of... In some ways, yeah. And that's not going to disappear, John. We're not going to undo those sort of categorised trading systems within the beef industry. We can't. They're, they're embedded, they're, they've got markets that are um, informed by them, um, international customers demanding them. So what we're about is enhancing the, I guess, the description of the carcasses within those categories. And that's what these technologies are going to do. So they're going to enhance what they've got. You know, even the MSA system, I think once we introduce these ribeye cameras um, to populate the predictions within the MSA model, those um, those eating quality predictions are going to have a big leap in their reliability. So I think the you know, the long game is that the, the markets and their customers are going to get far more confident around the product that they're receiving if it's been described by MSA. On the lamb front, um, you know, trying to say that, that quality is completely described by whether a lamb has cut its teeth or not, um, is, is laughable, and the the need to differentiate lamb carcasses based on eating quality has been has been long standing. It's uh, you know it's a, a desperate requirement in that industry. Um, there's an MSA for lamb cuts based model ready to roll. Um, you know Armtech has helped develop that. The MSA team are communicating that across Australia, and there's now devices that can take the measurements that enable its rollout. You roll that out, then we can start trading based on eating quality in land. I was going to say, Graham, even if the, the information about the lean meat yield and the animals goes goes back to the producers, it, it falls in a normal distribution. So there's some really good ones and a whole bunch in the middle and then the tail. So even if we use that at an industry level to, to take out that tail, uh, then it actually moves the, moves the mean higher and higher over time. So accurately describing the trait uh, will also shift us, even if we don't trade upon it. Just having that knowledge will, will also move the industry forward. Yeah, that's true. But I, I absolutely think the lamb industry needs to look at segregating a, a high-end lamb product. So there is there is a, a big variation in the eating quality in lamb, and they could easily separate what's currently processed in Australia into a top-end and a, a lower-end brand product, branded product within lamb. During the animal rebuilding phase, like we've been through in the last three years, is when when there's no lambs or no cattle available. It's certainly probably not the right time to go to market and say, "Hey, we're only going to, you know, going to pay more for the good ones and yeah, not as much for the it. other yeah. ones," because your your supply your supply dries up very quickly. But yeah. now, when when we're seeing prices going down, because essentially we've got an oversupply of the market, whether that's due to international appetite for our meat or, or our labour shortages. We, we're seeing more cattle and sheep on the market, and you know now now is maybe right time to, to, to start thinking about whether whether we can attract um, better animals into one supply chain or another via via the uh, price incentive. Yep, yep. Good. And on the on a lean meat yield front in lamb, John, you know the 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 signal in place around lean meat yield has been fat score that's a uh, that that's measured through palpation. 
So that's the that's the routine measurement for the, basically a, a fella tickles the, yep. the yep. spinal processes down the lumbar region of the lamb carcass, and they 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 effectively guesstimating the um, the GR tissue depth um, into sort of categories of five millimeters across the range. Um, you know, we've got any amount of, of data to to demonstrate that that has no relationship with whole carcass composition and its ability to predict. Uh, or to, to better predict cut weight um, is hopeless. Yep. So um, a technology that at the very least could measure GR tissue depth in millimetres is going to be a big step up. So that's what microwave can do. And even better still, if it can measure whole carcass composition, which is what that DEXA system can do, you know, that's going to be crucial for differentiating the value of, um, of lamb carcasses based yep. on their yield. Either of those steps is crucial. The lamb industry isn't there yet, so the value-based trading has kicked off um, within one supply chain in particular yep. for both um, lean meat yield and eating quality. Um, so that's that's uh, going to be our meat processors. Yes, and uh, yeah, I think the rest of the lamb processors are looking on with interest, and the fact that they've all been investing in these measurement technologies. Says to me that um, I reckon in the next five years there's an appetite we'll there. More, yeah, absolutely. We'll see a whole stack okay. more of those right. pricing grids or premiums roll out. I don't think we can also afford to take one trait forward and leave the other one behind. We've got to take <coughs> yield and quality forward together yeah. uh, in in our animals because you know we've seen what the the pork industry's done and and, and maybe to a lesser extent the New Zealand lamb industry. We certainly don't want to do that where we go hard on yield and, and leave eating quality behind. We've got to take those two traits together um, to make sure our, our, our product meets the consumer demands. Okay. So one last question before I pass you back to Kerry to, to wrap up, and that is the Armtech project, Mark II, effectively finishes on Sunday. So I suppose there's two, two questions come out of that. What is there left to do? And is there a risk that this work now loses momentum and it either just gets put back on the shelf or loses traction in terms of uptake and what have you? I can I can have first crack at that, John. So, um, firstly, the commercialisation of the successful technologies needs support. So there is no doubt about that. And the the use of the information that comes out of them and companies' ability to extract value from that that needs support as well. There's no doubt about that. There's a few other technologies that look really good and are close, but not there yet. Um, we, you know, we need to we need to wrap our arms around those and make sure they get over the line so that they're on offer in industry. And then I think it, it, it's probably there's two um, two other areas within Armtech we haven't talked much about today, but um, but you know we've got what we call Program Five, and they're they're focused around supply chain information flow and decision support systems. So they're, uh, you know, they're working with companies to show them how to extract that value. Um, and then the other part of this story is that the genetic equivalent of the traits that these devices measure. So there are existing traits within the, the land plan and, and beef genetic databases. And you know, the, the measurements taken from DEXA, for example, we've, we've been able to, so Daniel Brown's team has been able to prove that they're equivalent to the existing um, breeding value that's in their database. That that work needs to be done across all of the other technologies as they come online, and that's 
you know, that's a volume of work not to be underrated. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I do think that if there's not continued support around this area, then um, it'll struggle. Um, but at the same time, you know, MLA are going through a review process at the moment. They don't want to be, um, they don't want us to be marking our own homework and, and telling them how wonderful we are. So they uh, they need to finish off that review process um, and then work out and justify um, how they're spending their funds going forward. Um, AMPC need to do the same same thing. I think it's really important to keep the momentum going. One, we've got a great group of young scientists to be involved in this project. Now, if there's if uh, you know they take a wage and, and are looking for something else, so if, if we don't continue on, they go to to maybe other industries and, and out of out of their area of interest, which which they've been into the last couple of years. So that's one thing. The other thing is that I really worry about is if we don't commercial commercialize and implement some of these technologies, then tech providers will really look at us and, and our industry is like, wow, we did all that work, we spent all that money and no one bought our systems. Uh, of course, you won't attract them back to have another go at, at uh, developing technologies for your industry anytime quick if we don't move it through to being being implemented. So how do we get that implemented? You know, We do have to really focus in on that, uh, what are the economic gains or the economic imperatives for uh, adopting technologies com- yep. compared to what our current practices is, and put some put some dollar values around that. Yeah, so I think if we don't commercialise and, and implement something, now we've got plenty of DEXs around the country and some MEQ probes in in uh, different places. Um, so so we've got some commercialisation implementation going on, but for the others. You know, we may as well spend the money that we've we've spent on them and just gone to the casino and put it on black yeah. because the uh, the the outcome will be the same. So, yeah, we have to keep that momentum going. And I suppose the other risk is that technology developers uh, could potentially be tempted to take those technologies overseas to our competitors as well. Yeah, that's also okay because our market is typically pretty small. So yeah. if you know if they can sell it into other countries. Um, it, it broadens their ability to earn in, earn income and then and continue developing technologies that that are more accurate and and keep going as well. So I'm less worried about the implementation in other countries than yeah. There's also Pete, I think a, a crucial factor required in those other countries. They would need to change their trading languages to enable yeah. the rollout of these devices, and mate, that is a big job. Um, the you know the, the foresight of the Australian industry, or let's call it the adaptability of them, to um, to work with us and actually trade change that trading language has been a key enabler. Um, it's taken a few years, and you know, I know I get a bit biased, but you sort of look into the the, the stodgy European system and that the, the poor old Yanks with their their complex um, sort of camera um, trading system. You know, it would be very hard to change those uh, those big shifts. It's very hard to turn those big shifts around. Um, the, the Australian industry has been extremely agile over the last five to ten years, um, and that's really enabled the the progress that we've made. I think they'll always lag behind where we've got to. 
Great. All right, looks. thank you very much for your time, gentlemen. Really appreciate the uh, contribution today and uh, congratulations, you know, on the industry's behalf on uh, what you and your team have managed to achieve over the last three years and I think you've really helped set the Australian uh, red meat industry up for uh, for an interesting new phase under this under the uh, the technologies are now being presented to us. So uh, well done on a great, uh, great initiative. So I'm going to hand back to Kerry now just to wrap up, but I really appreciate your contribution contributions today. Thank you. Thanks, John. Thanks, John. Uh, thank you, John. And professors, outstanding stuff. I suspect anything uh, which converts to extra money through the livestock chain is always uh, outstanding. And the viewer producers, just a, a quick and final question. Where to now? I mean, so much um, sponsored research in the past uh, sometimes just evaporates. When can we expect reasonably your technologies to be seen in, a, in an Australian Meatworks? So I've, I've just had a bit of a look at a map. And there are, there are 20 sites in Australia, 20 separate sites, where these technologies are either being fully commercially used or implemented at a level. So um, I think that's probably, a, probably the best way to answer that question. They're out there. They're out there already? Yeah, yeah and I think, um, Kerry, as well, the, you know, the continual development of some that are in the early phases um, to, to bring some technologies that are maybe automated or cheaper or quicker or more accurate, whatever their uh, strengths may be, bringing them through to, through to market as well is, is, uh, is, is important because, you know, money spent to that point, if it all gets dropped, then, then uh, yeah, it's, it's a waste, waste of that investment. So, yeah, we need to keep that momentum uh, moving forward to see Graham's number that he just talked about there uh, grow and grow over the, over the coming years. Of course, it's about change, right? So we've done some things the same way we've done them for, for decades. So change is, change is never easy, and, and, to, and to think about change, we, it's always better to, to put it in dollar terms of what does this, uh, how does this new technology drive, drive value in our business. Look, it's a wonderful story. Congratulations to both your teams, Professor Graham Gardner from Murdoch Uni and WA and Professor Peter Gilchrist from UNE at Armidale in New South Wales. Thank you for being on the grill with Beef Central. Thanks, Gary. Thank you for joining me today. If you have a question or topic you'd like discussed on The Weekly Grill, email theweeklygrill at beefcentral.com. Until next time, I'm Kerry Lonigan and this is The Weekly Grill brought to you by Elders and Reinegard by Zoetis. 